Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is St. Valentine's Day, February 14th. We are here live. It's time for the Power Hour. We've got the team here from Pittsburgh Power. We'll hear from them, and then we'll get to your calls and questions. So line them up early. The phone lines always get busy on Tuesdays. So pick up the phone and join us, 855-950-3835. Let's see. I see uh, we've got uh, Pittsburgh Power on the line. I don't see Bruce yet. Uh, I've got a couple things I was going to talk about today. Um, I'll jump right in while we're uh, figuring out the, uh, the phone lines there. Uh, the first one, actually, I wanted to talk to the guys from Pittsburgh Power about this. Um, so we'll get their opinion when we jump in. If you're not familiar with that part of the country, um, and if you've been paying attention, this hasn't made as much news as it should be making. Um, there's a problem with that. There was a pretty nasty trail derainment in East Palestine, Ohio. Um, that's less than an hour uh, from Pittsburgh Power, if I had to guess. Um, It's pretty darn close. And it's west, so we tend to get more um, west winds, so they could be looking at fallout from this. Um, One of the interesting things right now already about this particular train derailment, um, extremely hazardous cargo on there. Some people are saying this could be the worst natural, well, not natural disaster. It's not a natural disaster. The worst environmental disaster in the U.S. Um, Now, I go back to Three Mile Island. Um, We had a nuclear issue uh, when I was growing up. I don't remember when that was. I'm thinking it was in the 70s sometime. That was a pretty big environmental disaster. They're saying this could be worse. It's getting very, very little press, which seems to be really odd. And what the press is reporting and what I'm seeing from individuals on social media, um, and I have, we owned a home that was 10 miles away from where that happened. We just sold it a couple of years ago. Um, What people from that area are reporting is very different from what the news is reporting. Even the government can't seem to get it to get their stories together. I saw the Fish and Wildlife reported 3,500 dead fish already in streams. They're kind of saying, well, there really isn't any um, real proof of anything dying yet. So the government is kind of sort of admitting that there's dead fish in the streams, but then kind of saying it's not true. Individuals are reporting livestock dying. I I have reports from people that I know or other reports that verify it from social media that livestock are dying. One woman claims she's like 15 miles away. She claims her whole flock of like 10 chickens died for no apparent reason. Uh, I heard other people just use the term, our livestock are dying. 
I'm not saying everything that's on social media is true. Obviously, it's not. There's going to be a lot of really bad misinformation on social media, too. People will just lie. They'll post things. They'll make stuff up. I get that. But something's wrong here. There's a mismatch between what we're seeing and what we're hearing, and I don't believe the government. When you look at how bad this is, just to give you an idea of how what we're facing here, vinyl chloride is the chemical in the, the tankers, five tankers full of vinyl chloride. I've heard estimates of 200 to 250,000 either gallons or pounds. I think it's pounds, actually. So it would be less gallons by about a factor of seven or so. Most liquids around seven pounds. But the, the worst spill we've had of vinyl chloride in our history was about 20,000 pounds or gallons. So big, big difference. We're talking about 10 times more. Now, when the tankers went over, they didn't rupture. They weren't on fire. This chemical is so volatile that it will, uh, what's the term? Um, It basically ignites at eight degrees Fahrenheit. I don't know if ignites is the right term. It, it, um, it turns into a gas. So we, we transport it as a liquid. If it gets above eight degrees Fahrenheit, it turns into a gas. So they had to breach these tanks somehow. I guess it was too volatile to try to move the tanks. And they're not saying any of this, but this is, this is what's going on. It, that stuff was way too volatile. They couldn't go in and move the tanks. The fire and explosion didn't happen because of the derailment. The fire started when they tried to off-gas this stuff out of the tanks. Now, I, I can't even find reports of it still burning. I, I think it has to be based on, but how, why are we not seeing wall-to-wall coverage of this every minute of the day? And we're not. There are estimates that 10 million people could get cancer from this. It's highly carcinogenic. It's going to be in the water. It's going to be in the soil. It's going to be in the air. Honestly, I'd move. Seriously, I would not live in that area. This is, uh, I think it's way worse than what they're telling us. (sighs) Maybe not. I hope not. But it it just doesn't sound good. Um, since I'm talking about current events and and weird stuff, the whole, um, you know, UFO balloon, all the shit we're shooting down out of our skies. Um, I read this morning that on the Chinese spy balloon, the first one, we're finally getting a little bit of information, although I think it's more made up than anything. They're claiming that when they go through the electronics, they can now see that this balloon program has been going on for years, they claim. All the way back to Trump. They have to make sure they get Trump's name in there. This was happening under Trump. We just didn't know it. What's happening now, and we know it, what are we going to do about it? They've been spying on us and other countries for years. How did we not know this? Now, if they want to go back and blame Trump, let's also give them a little credit. Trump was the one that started the Space Force. Maybe... 
had we been serious about really developing a true space force, which we should do, we might have caught these things. I have a hard time believing, though, that this has been going on for years and it was caught not by our government. It was caught by a couple of guys standing out in the parking lot who happened to look up in the sky and see it. So if it's been going on for years, why didn't the citizens catch it? Come on, even if the government is too inept, citizens would have caught it. They did. So there's a there's a lot of stuff going on right now we're not hearing about. Um, I know I'm taking time away from the power hour, but I don't see Bruce yet. I'm going to bring in uh, the other guys here, and we'll find out what's going on. Pete, Leroy, good morning. Good morning. What's with Bruce today? What's the story? Um, I think he's out on a cruise, right, Pete? Yeah, he's on a cruise. Yeah. Oh, did he's dancing and partying and whatever you do on a cruise? Makes no sense. Got it. Maybe I missed that. Have you guys stocked up on gas masks yet and and truckloads full of water? No. And like you said, there is nothing. So the little town I'm in, there's a local paper, and they quit delivering the paper to my area. But I read it online, and it mentioned almost nothing about the train wreck. Initially, they did. The local news carried it. They would show some pictures um, and then nothing. Absolutely nothing. What is with that, Pete? I know both of us had to be really young, but do you remember Three Mile Island? Yeah, I would say 78, maybe. Okay. Is when it happened. Yeah. That is my guess. No, I do. I mean, young and and not really like, okay, that's far away. It's, you know, I mean, big concern. Yeah, eight. You know, a teenager could care less about anything. Exactly. <laughs> you know. But even with that, yeah. here's what I remember about it. Back then, we had, what, four channels of TV in most parts of the country. You had the three big networks, and you might have had a couple local stations or something like that. Um, they didn't do news 24 hours a day. They had, a you know, an evening news, maybe a late news, that kind of thing. And when that happened... That was wall-to-wall news coverage for weeks. It was the only thing anybody was talking about, and and it should have been. They are claiming this could be a worse environmental disaster, more people will be affected, and, and we have a gazillion reporters now, and we have 10 channels of uninterrupted news 24 hours a day, and yet I have to go to Twitter to get information about this. So that happened March of 79. Wow. Okay. I didn't think it was that late, but that, uh, I guess so. Yeah, I guess I was too busy out drinking and partying or something, wrestling something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, I would think even as bad as it was, it would be easier to contain than what happened at the railroad track. Correct. Where containment goes. Right. I also imagine they don't want much because they probably don't know a lot yet. They probably want to get all their ducks in a row before they say anything. Well, yeah, here's a problem with that, though. When we say they want to get their ducks in a row, we're talking about the government. The press is there so that the government doesn't do crap like that. Don't be hiding stuff from us until you come up with your story. I don't want the government's story. Where the hell is the media? Well, I mean, it is in Ohio, so... <laughs> I want to go. I want to go hang out. A couple of fans, and, you know. Yeah. 
to go hang out in East Palestine. You know, it, such like I said, even the uh, government, Ohio. you're right, uh, Leroy, the government hasn't got their story right because fish and wildlife is showing that there's there's a bunch of fish dead. And yet most of the stories I mean, are saying, no, there's no real verification of that. Then from individuals, I'm hearing livestock is dying. I mean, if, if you're a reporter and there's, you know, a fish dying and, you know, livestock dying everywhere, that's not like the first story I'm going to go sign up and be like, oh, I'm going to go get in the, the thick of it and go see what's going on. You probably want well, to stay away from there. Leroy, that's because you don't have a reporter's mindset. Reporters would do the exact opposite of no. that. The bigger, more controversial the story is, that's what gets them Pulitzers. <laughs> yeah, I guess. But if you're for the East Palestine Times, I guess, I don't know. No, this is this would be a worldwide, should be a worldwide story. That's my point. This shouldn't be local journalist from you know, a blogger in there. And I'm following like five people on Twitter, individual journalists who are there. There, There's a video of of a reporter being arrested the first night or two of this at some sort of a press conference. They arrest him and take him out of the building. What for? Who knows? They didn't ever follow up with that. They showed the arrest. They they made something and then again it, the story was gone well that's a little sus <laughs> yeah and look i'm wide open maybe the guy was a total idiot maybe he did something and he deserved to be taken out of that but then tell us that show us the proof the story just disappears and then you have to wonder why did that story disappear why don't we know why they took the guy out of there yeah i didn't even i guess now that i'm thinking about it the first time i heard heard about the story was i was just scrolling through TikTok, and I thought, TikTok. I just saw people posting you're, videos about it. I was like, wait, what? There what was a thing in about there was a 45 miles from there? I live less than an hour away from there. That's what I'm thinking. It's, it's not an hour's drive. You're right there. Yeah. I mean, from here, it's probably a little over an hour, but from where I live, it's less than an hour. Pre- pretty close, yeah. Uh, we, like I said, yeah. we owned a home in Salem. We just sold it a couple years ago. It's about 10 miles away from there. That was my area for a long time when I was a driver. I covered that whole area, Youngstown, Warren, all out through there. Very familiar with that. And and this is just, like I said, the, you can't necessarily trust, trust what you're seeing on social media and independent journalists. But at this point, I'm trusting independent journalists a whole lot more than I am the mainstream. This should be all anybody is talking about in the media right now. Yeah, you mean it's sometimes some stories about celebrities seem to be wall-to-wall coverage. <laughs> exactly. And then right. the train derailment can't get any news. Right. It, it just it, it doesn't make sense to me. Yeah. All right. Enough yeah, and then what other know. sort of side effects did this happen? <clears throat> like just like logistically, you know, like how much freight goes on that that track, you know, what are we going to see long-term? Cause this is going to take a while for this to clean up. Exactly. The, the bigger problem I'm thinking of is what if this is so toxic, it can't be cleaned up within a certain, I, I mean, there's a lot of waterways there. Like I said, they were, they're finding vinyl chloride in the waterways. 
again, the, the, the mainstream media is not reporting that yet. I'm hearing this from other people. There is a division of the government even that's reporting it, yet it's they're saying that's not true. It hasn't been verified yet. The, the waterways, the soil, the air is probably the least of our problems. That could harm a lot of people. This stuff is extremely carcinogenic. It, it, it's one of our most think. potent carcinogens that that we know of that so people are going to be affected by the air eventually that will go away but the water and the soil what what does that mean for us i mean i'm not a chemist but i would think that if it has a boiling point of eight degrees that you know if it's eventually just going to boil away and then have a half-life in the air of you know well i don't several hours per day so it'll eventually disperse i would I would think if it has a boiling point of eight degrees. Well, I, I I would think so too. And I flunked chemistry, so you know I'm certainly not an yeah, authority. Yeah, I cheated through it, though. I'm not an authority on this, but I would think that what makes it into the ground and the water had to make it in before it boiled off, and I don't know if it will boil off at that point. Once you dilute it, once it's in the water, I think that's where the more of the problem in the air is the water because. Uh, you know, there was huge amounts of it, so it's going to go into every little creek um, stream yeah. that then feeds into larger ones. And and, and that feeds into people's wells. Mm-hmm. And um, fish are sensitive to stuff like that. I, I know we go um, north of here up near Cane, PA, to, to trout fish, and there was years that um, the, the one year that the fish were like, they weren't dead, but close to it. I mean, half of them were floating around hardly swimming. And what we found out was they had a lot of heavy rains and the soil was acidic there. And yeah. that screwed up the pH enough to, to um, hurt the trout. So when you... And, and it's, I mean, it, it was acidic from leaves decay, decay, not like any type of man-made pollutant. Right. It's what's in nature. So- Exactly. So here's what happens when you burn vinyl chloride. The part of the reaction of burning vinyl chloride is it attracts moisture. The the process attracts moisture right out of the air, just the humidity in the air, and combines to create hydrochloric acid. That's not good. No. That that that's what's going to be Remember Pete, well, let's go back to the 70s again. Remember acid rain was going to kill us all? Mm-hmm. That's what this was. Damaged cars. Yeah, we were putting out, our, our factories were putting out pollution that that had these same characteristics. It would combine with water in the atmosphere, create hydrochloric acid, and that's what they called acid rain. Mm-hmm. And, you know, down stream is the Ohio. Correct. Yeah, big waterways. Um, you know, it eventually feeds into the Mississippi. It would be nice even if they didn't have a reporter necessarily go report what's on scene. Like, even if they could find, like, an expert, you know, in, in chemistry or something to, to sort of describe, oh, what happens if vinyl chloride makes its way into the water? Or, you know, just sort of describe what could theoretically happen, not necessarily describe exactly what's going on, but just so we're sort of aware of the possible dangers. You know what I mean? It doesn't dissipate quickly. Yeah. Well, it will be in the soil for years or, you know. 
whatever. That's that's kind of my point, Leroy. I'm following people on Twitter that are doing exactly that. People uh, okay. who the the people we should be hearing from on the mainstream media. These are the people they should be interviewing to tell us these kinds of things. Who are the people that work with this stuff? We're not hearing that on the media. I'm following people on Twitter that are doing exactly that. That's my point. I, I what what's going on with our media that they're just not covering this? Yeah, that is a little weird. And there's nothing on Fox News. I just pulled that up real quick about it. Even it's Fox, my local right? Paper, nothing. Yeah, come on. What what is going on here now? Go to places like Rebel News, OAN. We're starting to see it on some of those smaller you know, conservative, it were, but mostly right now, I'm just finding individuals on Twitter uh, to follow on this because it's the only information I'm getting. Mm. It's not good. I have to keep an eye yeah. on this. Um, That's why if people think they're hiding something, even if they're not. Because well, it looks exactly. Like I, I don't want to become a, you know, tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist, but I, I'm starting to think that, you know, well, let's look over the last three years, everything we were saying they told us was a conspiracy and now it's all true. I mean, and we just move on and act like it never happened. I could go through so many things. You know, I don't, I'm not going to get too deep into this. This would have made a better a political show, but it, there's just so much of this going on right now. It's making me uh, just a little crazy with all this stuff. There, there's the whole balloon thing. You know, we now we find out they're claiming that, oh, we just found out China's been doing this for years. <laughs> oh, really? Are we're supposed to feel better about that? How did we miss these giant balloons floating across our country? Two human beings in a parking lot found this one. It wasn't our government that discovered this thing. Or if they knew about it, they didn't tell us about it. They're claiming these. this has been going on for years and we didn't know it. Come on. I, I just, this is, it, it's getting a little insane. Let's skip it. I'm going to move on to, to truck stuff. I could go on all day about this right now. Um, what do you think about this? This makes me a little crazy. We've talked about this a lot on this show, this topic. Um did you see that the government has offered Tesla $7.5 billion if they will convert their charging stations so that they'll charge any car? No, I didn't see that. I no, hope, that's kind of funny, though. I really hope Elon tells him how he feels. You know, unfortunately, Elon Musk... And I say, unfortunately, in this case, he's always been really open about his technology. He shares his battery technology. That's that's open source. His a lot of his code that they've written over the years, open source. He's he's that's he's kind of always been that way. He doesn't try to hide a lot of the company's secrets. He puts a lot of stuff out there. This one, I hope he tells the government to shove it. That's our money. They're going to pay him for this. Like he needs another seven point five billion anyway. Right. Well, yeah, it, I don't know. I, I, it always makes it seem like when he is on podcasts or something, he always makes it sound like Tesla and all his other ideas are for the, like the betterment of the world. Like he wants to bring electric cars and all the things just to make the world a better place is the way he always like, it right. feels like that's how he pushed it. 
But you would think then, if that was his real mission, then why would he... So what's the issues with the Chargers? They just don't have the same connector? Is it just the way that they it, charge? Like, I, probably what's so special about them? could be a little of both. I'm sure the connector is the big part. I mean, that's one way to control technology. Use a connector nobody else makes or can use or whatever. Um, and then there may be some technology in there, I'm sure, because if somebody wanted to, they could probably, you know, hack together some sort of adapter but then I'm sure if you try that, there's some other safeguard that won't allow it to work. So I, I don't know what technology makes it Tesla only, but that's just the way it's been. And I really hope he sticks to it and tells him, no, it's my technology. I'm not sharing it with you. Yeah, I don't know. I could see I could see it both ways. I mean, I like I was starting to say, if it was really for making the world a better place, you would think he would just want to make it charge anything. If really electric cars was hey, his like passion, well, that's I, what he I don't, wanted to bring I don't know, Leroy. Let, let me give you an example. You are really good at tuning diesel engines, aren't you? Yeah, pretty good. Yeah. You are. You, you've got some proprietary. Oh, you've got proprietary stuff. You guys have, have created things around tuning that didn't exist before. And in my opinion, those things are better for the environment. These trucks are running better. They're cleaner. They're lasting longer. We don't have repairs. To me, that's good for the environment. You don't want to share that with everybody else, though, right? That you created that. That's yours. We don't want them to. Exactly. Well, this is the way I view it. Is if you if you there's people out there putting bad tunes in trucks that blow up engines left, right, and center, just because of somebody else's ignorance. You're you're just allowing somebody else to ruin somebody's business. I mean, bad tunes blow up trucks and can put people out of business. I mean, I agree. 30 to $40,000. I agree. Just by be like, Oh, well they're an idiot and you, that you should just do your own thing and you just keep blowing up trucks now and then I'll retune them. That's just letting somebody else like ruin another person's life. When you're, you could just say to that guy, Hey, you, you know, quit doing that. Quit advancing the timing, quit turning up the fuel pressure you know, if you just release that, you don't have to release your exact like formula or whatever, but you can just say, Hey, don't do this. I've learned when you do that, that's really bad, but I don't want hey. you to do that because it makes everybody else's life worse. Hey, Leroy, that that's why we do yeah. this show. We right. do that on the yeah. show. We, we expose those kind of things and then people follow us because of that. And then we benefit that's capitalism. I'm all for it. Yeah. No, I agree. Yeah, I don't. I don't like to keep everything secret. So no, I, I, I'm I I, honestly, I'm, I'm. Look at all the stuff I share for free. We put stuff out there all the time. I'm all for that. But, but I do that totally by choice. And if the government, it's never going to happen. But if the government came to me and said, you know, that fuel mileage data you have, those four million fuel tickets, that we have some data that doesn't exist anywhere else. And if they came to me and offered money for that data, hell no. No, you're not using everybody else's tax money to buy this. You you wouldn't sell it for seven billion dollars. Uh, honestly, I wouldn't. We all have a price. I would be like, "This is Kevin Rutherford signing know, off." I, 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 <laughs> I just sail off in the sunset. I, I don't play the lottery for a reason. I, I don't want seventy million dollars handed to me at one time. I really don't. I don't think it's good for anybody. We don't have to keep it all. 
Yeah. I, well, then you try to give it away and you watch all the problems you cause just trying to give that much money away. Seriously. It, uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. One other thing. Let's uh, do some more truck stuff here. Did you guys see the uh, the new engine Cummins's? They're claiming it's going to be in service by 2026. The uh, X10, you mean? Yeah. Yeah, I didn't. Um, I just saw an ad for it. I didn't read into it at all. What's What's the story with it? A couple of interesting things here. Just just kind of the technology itself, but then how they're using it. Um, it's a 48, well, it's got a dual electrical system, 12 and 48 volt. It's 10 liters. It's kind of an odd size, really. Um, so the 48 volt, it's got a 48 volt alternator and the entire emission system runs on 48 volts, but they don't really describe the emission system and what the advantage of 48 volts was. I'd like to know more about that. The thing I found kind of interesting, this is that multi-fuel. This is the one that's going to run on, you know, all kinds of different fuels. The first one they release will be diesel, but this engine is capable of all the, the different fuels. The interesting thing is, though, they are using this to replace the L9 and the X12. So we could see a 10-liter engine in a Class 8 truck. Yeah, I mean, I can see getting rid of the 9-liter, but the 12-liter is just a nice size for someone that's not heavy. I'm not sure 10 liters enough. That's It's that, like a really big medium-duty engine and a really small heavy-duty engine. <laughs> yeah, that, that, I, you know, I could see it in the, the medium-duty market. It makes a lot of sense, and, and I think people know. I've always been a fan of smaller engines, but I think 10 might be just a little too small, especially if you try to run this stuff on alternative fuels that don't have as many BTUs. It's going to be a dog. I mean, I guess if you got enough gearing, you can go anywhere, so. They could do that. It, yeah. it does match up to the uh, Endurant 12-speed. Yeah, and it has some crazy deep gears in the, the first couple. Yeah. I'm going to just so, miss a, a large market, I would think, especially fleets they are, that want. They are claiming 75% um, less knocks. Than what? Um, let's see how they, the new X10 diesel will emit 75% less NOx. Oh, than required by the 2027 regulations. Wow. Wow. That's huge. I, I just realized that that is really big. Well, the regulation for a heavy duty or a medium duty, because. I'm I assuming both, since they're talking about this engine being both used in both operations. I don't know. I get I get suspicious over statistics because I, I feel like you can make it work for however you want it to I, work. I agree. Now, here's another sentence. Listen to this. So they're claiming that the engine alone will be 75% less NOx than the requirement. That seems pretty extreme. But then they make this statement. Cummins reports that fleets can opt for bio and renewable diesel to further reduce emissions. Is that true? I don't know enough about uh, biodiesel or the other sort of renewable diesel. I don't know much about it. I didn't know that those had less emissions. I've never read that anywhere. 
Yeah. I, I mean, I've run across a bunch of white papers and articles on biodiesel, but I always sort of just skip over them because, again, it's just sort of an infrastructure thing. We talk about it all the time. You know, where do you get biodiesel? Is it cheaper? You know, does it cause more issues with the engine? Like for a long time, biodiesel was just worse in pretty much every category across the board. Exactly. Yeah, I, I don't, I, you know, that's the kind of stuff that makes me crazy. They throw in those Let me, I'm going to go back to being political real quick, and then we're going to get on with the show. So a a really, really in-depth study just came out recently from a group called the Cochrane um, Collaborative. They're, they, it's a group that decided all of our medical reporting and testing these days is so corrupt, you can't trust any of it. And they go back and dig into the data and, and prove, you know, what, what it really meant. They did a huge, exhaustive study, and they studied all the other studies around the world about are masks efficient for COVID-19 or not. They came to the conclusion, absolutely not. They've looked at every study. They did a big study. No proof anywhere that the masks helped with COVID at all, and then they go into all the other damage that they caused. So that's the... That's what this, and it was the, the Atlantic magazine, so you got to kind of know the source, but this is what they're reporting on. They're reporting on this new exhaustive study that doesn't, that says masks don't work. It wasn't even close. Do you know what the first sentence in the article is? Masks don't work. Um, no, no, that's like what you would guess. hope it would be. <laughs> But here's what the very first sentence in the article is. Um, Let me get to it, because this makes me a little crazy. Here's the first sentence. Masking has widely been seen as one of the best COVID precautions that people can take. And then they say it doesn't work. Then if you follow, then there's a bunch of gobbledygook. And then if you get down to the middle of the article, they start talking about how this big research study proved that they don't work. Why would you start a, an article off like that? And that's why no one gets anything straight now, because a lot of us just, you know, you see an article and I notice I'm doing this more on my phone. I scan something. I look at the first couple paragraphs and then move on. Right. So if I read that, my thought was, oh. Okay, I guess the mask does work. Study. <laughs> exactly. It just makes me a little you crazy. Know, I don't think most of us read everything in a story. You glance through it and then you move on to the next thing. Right. I feel like the reason I don't read a lot of articles is because then I start going down too many rabbit holes. Exactly. Like if I start reading about the train derailment, I'm like, oh, vinyl chloride. What's vinyl chloride? <laughs> and then next thing you know, I'm at intermolecular forces. And I'm like, oh, we're not even talking about the train anymore. Next thing you I know, Leroy's out in the garage building a volcano with vinyl chloride. Right, exactly. And then I come back and I'm like, well, I didn't figure anything out, but I really overthought about it. <laughs> well, Leroy, welcome to my world. That's what I do every day. That's kind of my job, I guess. But you're right. It, it can make you a little crazy. That's why every now and then I have to go off on a rant like this. Yeah, no, I get it. All right, we're going to get to some calls, but before we do, I have to do a little marketing. I talked about this yesterday. We've uh, we've been spending a lot of time on projects. We've been spending a lot of time on on um, getting projects out the door. 
Uh, we're spending time on all of our technology to make the show better and all those things. And we don't do any commercials on our show. We haven't been marketing and uh, I'm watching our cash flow. We got to we got to do a little work here and we have to pay a few bills. So you're going to suffer through a short commercial here. Actually, you should be really excited about this. We have a lot of people who are using Cardio Miracle every day. I love that stuff, by the way. And we are doing another awesome special. And I have to thank Cardio Miracle. They help us out with this. They, uh, they work with us on the extra product that's going to happen here. So here's what's going to happen. We have Cardio Miracle in tubs, you know, in a scoop. And we have Cardio Miracle in sticks, which I really like. You open them up, dump one in, you're good. Um, they're really convenient. Now, obviously, sticks are more expensive because of all the packaging. So I tend to buy and use tubs but the sticks are really nice. So what we're doing, you if you buy either 290s, the tubs, or 360s, the tubs, you're going to get um, an order of 15 more of the single count Cardio Miracle. So grab that. You know you're going to use it. Uh, go get that now. And I would make sure you get that now. We uh, pretty regularly run out of Cardio Miracle. We have a tough time keeping it in stock. So head on over to the website, get that done. The more you go to the store and, uh, you know, keep our cash flow reasonable, the less I'll have to do this. I'd rather not spend airtime on this, but I also have to make sure we stay in business. So uh, head on over to the store if you haven't been there in a while and show us a little love. Let's get to some phone calls today. Let's get started in Oklahoma. Paul, welcome to the program. Howdy. Is that me? That's you. What's on your mind Hello? today? Okay. Well, other important news that you may have missed, Patrick Mahomes is going to Disneyland with his family after the Super Bowl win. That's very important. Pa Patrick Mahu? Yeah. Mahomes. Mah whatever his name is. Who's that NFL dude? NFL player. Not for long. Yeah. yeah. Who cares? Yeah. Um, well, my neighbor's grandson bought like a 97 or 98. 379 Peterbilt with a caterpillar. So I went down and it's parked at my neighbor's place. Um, I went down and looked at it. Well, it's got a Pittsburgh power box in it, but it's not connected. And he said, what the hell is that thing? I said, oh, that's a power box. Um, how many levels on a power box and how much horsepower does it jump up each each click of the dial, and what's that worth? Roughly. Hey, Paul, what, what engine was it on? A cat. A uh, caterpillar, but a, on, a, on a, about a 90, between 96 and 98, I think it is. Okay. So on the cat <coughs> engines, there were seven settings. Each setting, <coughs> excuse me, I believe it was 30 horsepower and... 90 foot-pounds of torque per setting. So most guys ran it on three, you know, which would be 90 horsepower, which was to the ground. And then, yep. um, you know, torque, but um, 270 or whatever to the ground. So big improvements. It didn't take much. Um, you know, you just needed a lower setting on that. And they worked really well. Now, as far as what they're worth, you know, they, they retailed for 20 400 bucks, 23.95 years ago. Uh, okay. The boxes seldom go bad. 
if anything, your harness is wood. But I mean, just because of the age, you haven't sold it for years. Um, I would say it's worth about twelve hundred bucks. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure what they paid for this truck, but twenty five grand or something. But it's it's not perfect. I don't know how many miles on it, but it's not a total piece of crap either. So what can you get for twenty five grand? And I'm three seventy nine, but he's probably gonna speed it up a little bit anyway because he's he's into the oil field work and stuff like that. So yeah. So. Right, I'll let him know. I'll let you carry on. Thanks. All right. Welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Florida this time. Raymond, welcome to the program. Hey, Cameron. How's it going? Good. What's on your mind today? Uh, first, I need to say I apologize. Uh oh, Raymond. You're really breaking up and you're a little muffled. I didn't understand a word you just said. Okay, let me, let me, get, let me try it again here. I said I need to apologize for laying down the GD word twice in my last conversation. You don't have to apologize for that. Anything goes here. We're pretty, we're pretty free uh, on speech here. I, I, I really appreciate that, but I had to apologize for my own self. That's okay. That's all right, then. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Okay. Uh, on, on the bigger and better things here, uh, I'm going to put a set of 264 rear ends in my corn binder, my international. Okay, the question is, I'm pretty sure that they, they do, uh, they have a horsepower checking machine there at, at Pittsburgh Power, correct? We have a dyno, yes. They do. Yeah, it's back in the horsepower. Yeah, they've got it back in the horsepower checking room. Cool. What I would love to do is do a before and an after to see how much horsepower we're going to lose. Did you say how much you lose? Yeah. Lose when? What are we doing to lose horsepower? Oh, we're we're going to have to lose horsepower in this transaction. Which transaction? Or something. You don't, you don't, you don't. He's putting 264s in. Oh, oh, no. Hey, 264 years. Wait wait a minute, Raymond. Let me help your thinking here. You, you, you have what, uh, what, um, oh, I just drew a blank on his name. Um, the old motivational speaker. I'll think him in a, in a second. You have what he used to call stinking John thinking. John Lee Maxwell. Uh, you have Zig what he, he referred to as stinking Zig thinking. Ziegler. Okay, yeah. So think of the, the engine is sitting there. Yes, I, I, honey, I, listen, I, I, I've, got, I've got a set of thermons on so stinking thinking from about 1990-something, uh, I think. Uh, I, actually, I threw them away, but. <laughs> yeah, so so the, Go ahead. think about this. The engine is sitting there. It's a separate entity, and it produces a certain amount of horsepower based on how it was designed, how it's tuned, all those things. And then behind that, we put a transmission, we put differentials, we put tires. All of those can be looked at as either torque. They're, they're torque modifiers. They're either going to give us more torque or less. 
Horsepower, remember, is just a calculated number. It's not even a real thing. We can, you know, torque matters, but nothing we do behind that engine can actually change the horsepower of the engine. All it can do is determine how much of that power and how we're getting it to the ground. So we need to at least start off thinking that way, that nothing behind the engine can change the horsepower of the engine. Well, okay. But so what you're, you're what you're asking is what are we putting to the ground? And now the the transmission can change that, the gears can change that, and the tires can change that. But they don't change how much horsepower there is or how much power or torque. They just they just change when it happens. I'm not sure if I'm explaining this right. Leroy, Pete, jump in. I know what I'm trying to say here. I'm not sure if I'm saying it the right way. Right. Yeah, I mean, I think you, you got it right. And, you know, if he had 500 horsepower before, whether he had four tens in there or 264s, he's still going to have the same horsepower. Yeah, so when you put it on the dyno, this is, this is what would happen. So like Kevin said, the rear differential is a torque multiplier. So if you are in your direct drive, that means that your transmission is not multiplying or losing any torque through there. I mean, there is through parasitic loss, but we're not talking about that. So if your engine makes 1,000 foot-pounds of torque through direct drive, then if you had a 410 differential, that means you're taking 1,000 foot-pounds of torque and multiplying it by 4.1 or 410. Right, so that gives you 4,100 foot-pounds of torque at the wheels. Now, if you put a 250 gear in there, that now means you're taking your 1,000 foot-pounds of torque and you're multiplying it by the 2.5, which will give you 2,500 foot-pounds of torque, which does mean that you technically lose torque at the wheels going from a 410 to a 264, but the way the horsepower equation works, you're going to get more wheel speed for it. So horsepower but, is a calculation of torque and speed. So yes, you will lose torque, but then when you get more wheel speed, because of going to a 264, you end up with the I, same I, horsepower I, as you had before. I understand all that. Uh, what, uh, I just wanted to know if you guys are into experimentation like I am and and uh, anyway, so Raymond, I, th- Raymond, I think I know where you're going with this and I might be able to help. So, I, I, sir, I, I've got to call back. I, I, I've got, I'm in a dentist here. I've okay. Go. All right. We'll I'm let in you the go. Dentist here. I bet you, I bet you never had a call. No, no, you're right. I haven't. I'll let you, I'll let you get back to the dentist. That's important. You know, that, that discussion is probably a good discussion to have. We should almost do a back to the basics on this. You know, I was about to tell him if we were making an engine modification, we could do what he was asking. You could do a dyno run, record it all, go make your engine modification and come back and do another dyno run and see if torque or horsepower changed, correct? Right. But we're not making an engine modification. We're making a gearing modification. So horsepower won't be affected. 
Yeah, so the, the only thing that's really going to be affected is the actual axle torque at the wheels will be lower. But you make up for the you, the horsepower number will be the same because of the speed difference. And the other thing we have to remember, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, I think I'm thinking this right. When you say the horsepower and the torque will be this, we're talking about in a specific gear. But if we want a certain amount of torque, that's what the transmission's for. We use a different gear, right? We can still achieve that same torque you used to have. We're just going to achieve it in a different gear. Correct. Yeah, I mean, you're like you said, everything is a torque multiplier. So if you have a a one to one ratio uh, gear, which is your one to one, you're not multiplying. It's just multiplying it by one. But if you go down a gear, now it's time. It's ten percent more. So, so yeah, if you put two sixty four in and you want the same axle torque, go down a gear or so. Right. Right. So that's what this would tell us is that we would kind of map out the torque in each gear and that's what we do these are the calculations we go through when we're trying to spec a truck we want you know we want to reach the torque curve in this gear at this speed and we do that by using different gearing or different tire size that that's the two adjustments we can make here we can we can adjust the three adjustments we can adjust the gearing in our transmission like we can put in a nice really low gear crawler gear because we're going to use a higher rear end ratio that's one adjustment we can make we use a different tire size that gives us a minor adjustment but it's still an adjustment um don't you try to kind all of your dyno reports are probably done in direct gear right so you're consistent correct but that's not necessary right you could run a dyno report in any gear Oh, yeah. Yeah, you can do it in any gear. You can do it in first gear. It's not going to give you a number worth anything, but yeah, you could do it. But we use, and the reason, you know, if one truck comes in and its final gear is an overdrive and another truck comes in and its final gear is direct, on one truck, you might be running your dyno report in 13th and on the other truck, you're running it in 11th. Yeah, no, we do that all the time. Yeah. But you do that to be consistent. That there's no magic there. It yeah. doesn't have to be done that way. We do it so that when we compare things, we have consistency and we don't have all the gearing in there confusing us. And the other thing is the, the dyno calculates its horsepower off of roller speed. So sometimes we know if we're in the wrong gear without... If we pull a truck on the dyno, not know which one direct drive is, but if we just do a dyno run... we say, oh, there's no way that this um, <laughs> stock 12.7 makes 800 horsepower. But it's because <laughs> right. we were in double over five. <laughs> right. So it would make 800 horsepower and like 1,000 foot-pounds of torque. Like, hmm, that sounds like overdrive. Or conversely, you could be one year down and your, you know, twin turbo A-cert might only make 300 horsepower, but 3,400 foot-pounds of torque. Like, huh, <laughs> we're in the wrong gear. Got it. Got it. All right. I think that would make a a good show. Maybe we'll talk about doing that. Just go, go back to the basics and start that whole thing. The power starts here in the engine. You know, we've got torque modifiers in the transmission, the differential and the tires, all of them are technically torque modifiers. You know, here's how we go through this and, you know, here's why we do it in direct drive. So we've got this comparison. 
Um, I think that would be a good show. I think this is, uh, and I mean, that's even, that's even what Joel and Volvo and all, those guys are doing. You, I mean, look at their, their transmissions. Their first couple gears are a lot deeper than yeah. your standard 13 speed. And that's how you can get your great ability back. Yeah. When you the, put a 210 gear in it. it or if there's some talk about one nineties now. I mean, and, and you're right. When we get to yeah. these really, really fast gears, now we have to make up for that on the bottom end of the transmission, not just our low crawler gear, but our reverse gear too. Yeah, and I mean, it, if you think about it just simply, you need so much axle torque to move a certain load up a hill or on the flat, and it can all just be done through gearing. The engine makes so much, and you just need to design your transmission in rear diff to what you're looking for. Well, my first... For. My first RV was a good example of this. It, I always phrase, what was it the six seven Cummins back then? Was there a six seven? Mm -hmm, I, there I, is, yes. I think that's what. It, yeah, I can never keep all the small Cummins engines straight. It had a really it? really small engine, and this was a forty foot RV. It's pretty good size RV, and I was towing things with it. Yeah, we've been a lot of those. Yeah, a tiny <laughs> little engine with like. 470 gears so they make up mm -hmm. for the lack of power with that really low gear yeah yeah it's all pretty simple and that's where that x10 of cummins would, would be nice for something oh. like that instead of a six seven. that's a that, that would be the tip. boy would i have loved a 10 liter in that thing then it would have been, you know, a nice vehicle. It, it was tough. It, it didn't have a lot of drivability when you got into, you know, places like where you guys are, just south and West Virginia and those short, steep hills. And it was a dog. Well, I don't know, because it was something that's kind of weird about the ISB or the 6.7 is you can get an ISB in a lot of media duty stuff. And it's almost the same engine as what you get in a Ram pickup, Right. Right. But the like highest ISB rating is like 250 horsepower. But then you can go buy almost the same engine in a pickup truck and get 400 horsepower, 450 I, horsepower out of a new brand new one. I know. That I don't always, know why they do that. It, well, in, in the RV world, they do tend to turn up the horsepower on those. You will see those things with, with the small Cummins with like 400 horsepower. Yeah, and higher torque. They used to do that even with the old mechanical 5.9s, which we worked on a lot. They had higher torque numbers than what the early Dodges did. And I think Dodge, because of the driveline, limited yeah. you, you know, what torque it put out. You really don't see that with ISBs and RVs, though. I mean, like you're saying, there are some higher ratings, maybe 300, 325. But usually when they go to like 400 or 450, they put either an ISC or an ISL in the RVs. True. Yeah, it is. Which maybe just, it's the ISL. It's the I'm same used to engine. I don't know why they screw it up. Yeah. Makes no sense. All right. Let's, uh, anyway, let's grab a call. Let's go to Florida. Shedrick, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. How you guys doing? Good. What can we help you with today? Uh, I got another dealership horror story. I need some advice on. All right. Burning. I have a 20, I have a <laughs> burning. That's all right. It's almost burned. You might have something there, Leroy. <laughs> it's a, it's an ISX. It's a 2250 and a 2012 Cascadia. And I took it in. The crimped up death line was in B rate. They determined that the death line was crimped up. And then I also wanted the overhead done. And they told me I had a leak between the timing cover 
and uh, front engine cover. Is that correct terms? I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Okay, so they said that leak needed to be repaired, and of course that's a like eight or nine thousand dollar job, and I agreed to have them do it. And so they went through the process of the repairs, and then they took forever because this was three weeks. So at completion of the engine being put back together, all the belts and the pulleys and everything, they told me they test drove it, which again I don't think is true because you know we have ELDs as soon as you move over five miles an hour. They alert your company, and the company asks who's driving the truck. So he comes back, and he tells me that the engine has a knock sound at the bottom of it. And after they further reviewed it, they tell me that it's spun a bearing. So now we into the whole, have to replace the whole bottom end of the engine. And I don't know enough about these engines to know if that's correct, that an engine can spin a bearing just from idling in the shop or going around a block. I had 1.2 million miles on it, too, so I'd like to include that information on the, on the history of the motor. But it's never been into just injectors only and the camshaft rocker arms and an updated fuel pump, burning the gallon of oil between every 20,000 miles. And my oil sample from November showed a, a level of one for copper and a five for lead. So on the – so that's not normal – to spin a bearing in most cases. I mean, bearings can spin at any time. And Mm -hmm. one of the problems when you spin a bearing, if if you indeed did, a lot of times the damage is so bad you can't see what caused it. Now, with that said, you got good oil analysis. You're not using oil. My thought is, and obviously I'm not there, um, ISXs are really sensitive to dirt in the engine. And my thought is, you know, obviously you didn't go in with a spun bearing that when they assembled the engine, the front cover, they weren't clean. And my, mm-hmm. my guess would be they got dirt in the engine somewhere, somehow. Cause okay. ISXs do not like dirt. Okay. Like most engines, you know, it's kind of weird. Yeah. NTCs right. don't mind. Yeah. NTCs can live on dirt. Well, that's because they make a hundred horsepower. <laughs> They're lucky to turn over. <laughs> but now here's a caveat to this when they inform me about the spent bearing the guy the service writer has this weird look on his face and he says you know here's the air quotes because you're such a good customer and your truck was bought brand new here 10 years ago we willing to split the cost on replacing the lower end of the engine now which they said that it would be uh hang on it says a crankshaft it's connecting rods upper engine and Gasket, low engine gasket, oil cooler, oil pump, oil pump gasket, piston cooler nozzles, piston rings, mains and rod bearings, front crank seal and rear crank seal. So they did put mains in it? No, this no, this is what they're gonna correct it. Oh, okay. So was it a rod bearing you spun? I'm assuming. Well he said it was the one the I don't know if it's main or rod bearing one, but he said it wasn't one that would have walked the block. I had the blocks that have to be resurfaced. Okay, so if it would have been a main bearing, generally it damages the block, and that's a bigger concern. If it's a rod bearing, then by replacing the connecting rod and the crank, um, you know, you took care of it. Now, I would ask them to drop some bearings down and take some pictures for you. Well, I think you, okay. you put it on the you put the pictures on Trucking Tribe, right? No, that's another guy that I was actually talking to. My, my, oh. you yeah, you might have seen a feed that we were talking about. So. So, I mean, I, those I are yours. Those are not mine. Oh, okay. Pictures to see. I mean, 
just say, you know, you drop a couple mains, a couple rods, and the bearings look horrible, like, okay, well, maybe it was just time and the bearings, you spun a bearing and it was just bad luck. But if all the bearings look good, and also if they did assemble the engine unclean, got dirt in the oil and ran through, we would see signs of um, dirt in the bearings in most cases. So I'd see if they'd take some pictures for you or drive down and take a look. Say, hey, I want to see these bearings. Okay. And the fact that they're willing to split the cost on that part of the repair, is that them being nice or is them trying to hide something? Because everything that I've come across here might have been started without oil or enough oil. I don't know if that's possible to spin a bearing that way too. Oh, yeah. If they they changed oil and, say, a tech, drained it and another one started it, you know, for sure. But then again, I would think that that would show up if you're looking at the, So if you run an engine with low oil pressure, um, no oil pressure, very little oil, um, the bearings will show a certain type of wear um, okay. where it's actually kind of pulling the, the, the bearing material off. And if you see that, that's an indication, okay, they started up it up without oil pressure or with oil. Something happened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, again, that's why I think it's important to get some pictures of some of the bearings and maybe make sure you call soon enough so that it's like, oh well, yeah, I don't have the bearings here now. Yeah, that make sure can, they don't throw them away. That can conveniently happen. No, they haven't started anything because this is the second part of this. Is we didn't want. I, I had the front engine. Well, I told you guys they had the front engine cover repaired, so. What they want me to do is they want me to, to pay for that initial work, which I have no problem because I actually put it in and told them to do the work. And then they want to split the cost of those parts that I just mentioned to you guys. But then what they're going to do is going to turn into an outer frame now, right? Bottom replacing the crankshaft. Yes, correct. So the truck has 1.2 million miles on it. I bought it brand new. I put every mile on it. But there's part of an overhaul kit that's not included with, with the work that I just mentioned that they're going to do. And I asked them, okay, if you're going to have this engine out of the truck, shouldn't we go ahead and do the full overhaul? I mean, with that type of miles that are on it, I would say yes. Right. So what they're trying to do is figure out if they can split that cost with me a little bit more and then also get the new cost of what it would take for them to go ahead and finish the overhaul completely because I told them it didn't make sense to put whatever original parts that y'all are not going to change with the work that I've already had done in this work that you guys are going to do on the lower end of the engine. So give me a price for me to have the full overhaul and then we'll figure out that price together and see what we can come up with. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. And I, yeah, the next that way. I wanted to... Because right, of the high mileage on the engine. Right, it doesn't make sense. I don't know what less they were going to do when they, from what are those parts I just mentioned to pulling it out of the frame, and I guess it would be pistons and liners maybe. That would be the full overhaul part of it. So generally when we do a in-frame, it's cylinder head, injectors, um, your cylinder kits, which is your liners, pistons, and rings, connecting rods, um, main bearings, rod bearings. Um, if the cam's good, we'll reuse it. Um, in this case, obviously the crank's going to have to come off, right? To come out. Another option might be to trace out a, um, 
three quarter inch motor. Yeah. And the reason is, you know, at that point you're getting a cam where you're not here. Um, it's going to be decked. It's going to be line board. Um, and just to price it out, I don't know how it'd work out, but it might not be a bad idea, um, to get a couple other figures. That's okay. Here's what it's this way. What if we go this route? It might make sense to go that way. Right, because it's pushing about 30K right now with where it is for them to do what they have already had them done for this lower end work. And then mm-hmm. for them to finish out the overhead, you're right above 30 or right at 30, somewhere in that range right now. Mm-hmm. And my next question is if they're going to pull the engine out of the frame, I've never seen an injury built. I wish I would have been at y'all show and y'all did one in the parking lot. But they're going to have to take this front cover work back off again that they just actually finished. Yeah, unfortunately, yes. Right, so it's like it's going to be done twice. So I'm going to pay for it the first time, and they're paying for it the second time. Mm-hmm. Or am I paying for it twice here? Well, I, I would work on them. With, you know, make sure they they you know get that out. And like, okay, hey, you know, when they print out an estimate for you that it's broke down, that they're not charging you for that because that does have to come off when you pull the crank out. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And I'm like, okay, you got on my original bill because I asked for that work to be done initially. But now here we are going into a separate set of problems. And now we're trying to figure out a new way to come up with a price for this. And if that work has to be done twice, I hope the part that you charge me labor-wise is probably where the most of that work going to come from because they probably end up using the same, not the gasket, but all the other same parts that they did when they did the front-end cover. Right, yeah. They would just get a... um, Headset and a lower gasket set, and then at that point, all the gaskets are covered. Okay, because they did that whole front metal piece, and it was standing up on the side of the truck. There, I don't know if I'm not sure what that's called, but that was part of the, the original job that they'd done, so they reused that. They'll reuse the new one, yes. Okay. Yeah. All right, so when they discuss a new price with me, I should just ask them for a little bit less of a labor cost because we're going to have to do this twice? Mm-hmm. I would. I mean, it's worth trying. Okay. Because I'm, you know, I'm not trying to get anything. I mean, truck's old and needs work. It was going to eventually need this work. I slapped the money away to be able to do it. But since it's on a barren while I was in the shop and they're saying that, you know, they'd be nice to be able to pay some of this, meet me 50% on that part of the work there, just made me think that they're covering up something that happened in that shop that shouldn't have happened. Because, like, I don't know. That's why I asked the question with you guys, because you guys see this all day, every day. I don't know if a barren could be spun while our truck's getting out of the shop or driven around the parking lot, but that's what they're trying to tell me, that the age of the truck or the age of the engine is part of what made the bearing spin or come loose. Yeah, I mean, a bearing can spin any time. Um, a lot mm-hmm. of guys will report their um, coasting or going down a hill and a bearing spins. Um, it can happen any time. It's right. just, I understand your suspicion when it um, happened at the shop and you're not using oil and you have oil analysis showing that you're not seeing any wear, but Again, that's why I would look at the bearings. It kind of give you a better answer. All right, that's good information. That I'll be able to see exactly what, what why it failed based on the, the markings that's on the bearings. Mm-hmm. Okay, all right. I appreciate the information. I got one for Kevin. If he's tuned in, he might be on. on a, all right, go ahead. Flight right now. <laughs> well, I'm going to drive for another guy. I'm with Landstar, so I'm going to drive for another guy. We're doing a little fifty-fifty split. So I just wonder what your interpretation of how that affects me tax-wise because it's his fuel, but we're going to split it. It's going to only be for the time that the truck's going to be in the shop 
So if that's a big issue to worry about, any of that, I'll just ride it out and be glad I got another opportunity to work. Uh, there's a couple ways we can handle this. Just so you know, it, it, this is short term, so it's not a big deal. But I see arrangements like this all the time that are long term, and I hate this stuff. It is such a mess when right, it's he's done talking this way. About it all the time. Why? Mm-hmm. Look, if you're going to do it, whatever he pays you, there's no taxes being taken out, I assume, right? Right. It's probably going to definitely be 1099. Yeah, that, that just gets added to your gross revenue at the end of the year. It's real simple. It's just, it's right. revenue to you. You add it in with your other 1099s and any expenses you incur, since you've got some weird kind of split going on here, those become expenses for you. So you have to keep those receipts. Right. You know, I'm using his, his truck, his fuel car, this, that, and the third. So, you know, I'm not going to see that part of it. I mean, he's, he's, he's open with me. He's showing me the, the crate bills because I'm with the same company. This, and, you know, when we buy fuel, you know, it's so let me just make a recommendation. This would be much cleaner okay. if he covers all the expenses and then just pays mm-hmm. you to drive the truck. However, you guys work that out hourly mileage, whatever percentage, but mixing right. up the expenses is a mess. Right. Okay. I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't say, you know, I wouldn't say, well, if something breaks while I'm driving the truck, I'll pay for it or I'll pay for half the fuel or that is what messes all this up. If it, if you just say, look, it's your truck, you take care of expenses like you always have, just pay me to drive it. Right. Okay. Well, that's, there's a caveat to that too, because he says we can do this 50, 50 split for six weeks. And then after that, he wants to pay three twenty five a day. Should I flip to that right now or it, do the six weeks with him that way and then turn into that? You need to decide how you want to get paid and how much. What I'm telling you is at no point would I ever mix up expenses. I would not do this 50, 50 thing and, and somebody's paying for this and somebody else paying for that. That is where it becomes a disaster. A mess. Right. Right. I got you. I understand. Yeah, I'll, I'll look into it that way. I just want to kind of run it by. I know some of you guys have to do this for a little while. This is my first time, so I'm kind of you know, deer in the headlights with it. Have you um, have you looked at the possibility of renting a tractor? Problem with Landstar, they won't let you go to Hertz or Pinsky. Oh, they won't? You can go and drive for another. No, they will not. I guess it's ELD issues or something. But they will not let you rent from a huh. outside source like that. All right, interesting. All right, yeah. Just don't mix yeah, up that's expenses. What I said, because that would be the way it, to go. What about this? Here's another way to look at it. Why not rent the other contractor's mm-hmm. truck from him? Then he gets a guarantee. He knows exactly yeah, heard- how much money he's getting, and you keep running your business just like you've been running it. Just rent a tractor from him. Yeah, I've heard Steve Willard got a system like that. I think he did that with Tad. I've heard a bunch of phone calls with him. So, yeah, it's something I could actually, if he was interested in doing. Yeah, that's a better way of doing it. Okay, well, yeah, I'll definitely look into that. All right. And I want to ask something about... Oh, sorry, I'd already hit the button. Um, I had to move along. We're going to head off to Ohio. Warren, are you at home? Uh, no, I'm on the road, but uh, uh, so no, I'm I'm probably going to be back there in a couple of days. 
Yeah, you're from Alliance. You're just uh, ground, just about ground zero there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, like you said, I, I mean, even our local media for what's left of it, uh, the Alliance Review is, I mean, in, in kind of a name only, our local paper, it got uh, bought up by uh, a larger media conglomerate. And, uh, yeah. you know, you really don't hear anything about it unless you want to check social media. And, you know, it's pretty, pretty alarming. Now I'm, <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm heading towards Wisconsin, so I'm good for now, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's kind of scary. So, Hey, you, you know, uh, what, you well, know I, another really weird, um, part to the story that I forgot about completely. Um, let me go find something here. There is another really weird part to this story. Like the weird part is they are just not um, reporting it. But listen to this. In 2021, this wasn't that long ago, 2021, they made a movie. Guess what the movie was about? Train to Exactly. It's even in East Palestine, in the movie. They just made this movie in East Palestine about a train derailment with toxic chemicals. Come on. Are we living in a twilight zone? Well, it seems like it. (laughs) That just seems insane to me. Wow. You know, I just don't believe in that kind of a coincidence. Call me a tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist, but that seems a little odd to me. Yeah, I've tried to avoid the conspiracy theories, but I, I guess maybe it's time to make the tinfoil hat. I, Sheesh. I, I'm with you there. I know. Well, what can we help you with today? Well, first of all, hey, I wanted to real quick, uh, I, I'm going to ask you a trucking question, but, uh, you know, I I started listening to you oh, probably about eight months ago, and so I... Uh, Oh, probably about a month and a half ago started, uh, the, um, I, I'd, I'd say it leans more towards keto, but, but kind of paleo like, I, I, you know, the emphasis is on, uh, you know, kind of what, what your, your recommended diet is. And, you know, I, I, I gotta say, I, you know, was kind of, um, suspect of it and, of uh, you know, cause you, you yeah. just grow up hearing, you know, <laughs> how you should eat. And, uh, since I think the first week of January, um, you know, I'm down like 15 pounds. I, I did gone to the doctor and, you know, my weight was up and I, uh, she was a little concerned about my cholesterol. And, uh, so I have, um, kind of dialed down and, and, uh, done this. And so I, and I'm also, you know, like you said, I'm, I'm feeling more energetic and I had a, uh, I had a knee issue um, and, uh, you know, I, it's, it's, <laughs> I swear to God, it's helping with, with that and aches and pains and things too. So yeah, I, of course, it you is. know, I, 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 I gotta say, I'm, I guess I'm a believer cause I've, I've been doing it, uh, you know, uh, we're going on two months here and, and, uh, you know, not just, I'm thrilled with the weight loss, but I'm just also thrilled, uh, if, you know, as much with the, the way I'm feeling. So, so Excellent. that's, uh. Warren, That's all been good. Let, and let, I, uh, Hey, let, yeah. let, let's stop there and, and, you know, kind of combine these two stories that we're talking about here. How old are you? I'm, I just turned 50 back in November. Perfect. 
So you've been through all of this. Eat low fat. Don't eat salt. Cholesterol is really bad for you. If you're fat, you have to eat less right. and work out more. I mean, we can go on and on and on. Healthy right. whole grains, all that crap. They have been telling us that since the 70s. Every single thing about it is completely wrong. Not even close to being right. It's the opposite of what we should have been doing. And they've been telling us that for five decades, and they still try to tell us that. So if people are wondering why I'm such a skeptic and I don't believe much the government or the media tells us anymore, maybe it's because I have five decades of absolute proof. You know, and I don't mean to get all, right. you know, angry, but, it, but that's what makes me a little crazy. I can prove that the government and the media has lied to us over and over and over and over for decades. Why would I believe anything they say anymore? Well, it is, it, I, I, I kind of share the, we'll call it frustration over it. I mean, I, you know, there have been certainly times in my life when I was younger, I, I you know, was in a lot better shape. I mean, I was able to get through Navy boot camp, do my time in the military and, and, but I've, I've really, you know, ever since my twenties struggled, uh, with my weight and it's gone up and down and, and, uh, you feel, you know, I, I, you feel just kind of <laughs> bamboozled and like yeah. you've been fed this lie, yeah. you know, when you see the difference and, in, in, and, and, and I, and I think part of my, the, the mental change that helped and, and especially listening, uh, to, to you is, the idea that it's not a diet, it's not a, a quick fix sort of thing. It's, it's, it's a lifestyle change. And you, you know, it, it's, it is a struggle because when you've eaten, you know, right. a, a lot of carbs and the kind of things that are recommended your whole life. Um, you know, I, I, I guess I'm shocked by how much of a crutch or a almost addiction that those sorts of foods became, right. but it's helpful to just kind of say, or I'm just not going to eat those anymore. That's just not even an option for Correct. me. And, and that, so, um, um, that helps. And I, so, you know, I'm so glad you found it. Oh, by the way, before I forget, you said you started listening to us eight months ago. How'd you find us? I actually found you through, um, uh, there's a, um, there's a company, uh, I think you, you've been on their, their podcast. Uh, I hope you don't mind me saying the name no, of it. Blue Ribbon Logistics. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. I, 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 tuned, I tuned into their podcast, and they had um, men mentioned you, and that's how I found your, uh, well, your new, uh, Fantastic. Um, your new system with the, yeah, so I, I really Good. enjoyed it. And, uh, um, and I'll take you up on the, I, I, I'll put my money where my mouth is. I do intend to order the, um, uh, I, I'm going to, I'm going to finally get off the pot here and order that, uh, uh, owner operator course you, you offer. I was taking a look at it and I'm going to, I'm going to purchase that because I, I love your content. And like I said, both for trucking and, and on the health side, it, it really has been helpful. And I think you do, uh, Excellent. you know, I, I don't mean to sound silly out there, but I think it helped change lives. So, okay. So I well, hold am, on. um, hold, hold on. That, that was good. Yeah. That, the reason I asked, okay, sure. we, we were on Sirius XM for 15 years. I never had to worry about finding new people, new listeners. You know, as a business, we, we we've got to be able to do business and we need new people. It's just how business works. We All never right. had to worry about it for 15 years. 
Um, in the last year, we've been busy building out our own infrastructure, our own network, our own app, and we have not marketed right. it because I, I didn't want new people while we're trying to build out our technology. Uh, so we've gone a year now without doing any real marketing. And I, I just wonder, you know, right. we, we have to start bringing new people in. And I'm, I'm wondering, you know, what, what are our best avenues? So I always like to hear from somebody who didn't know of us when we were on Sirius and, and how they found us. One more thing I want to I get to. I'm glad you found this at 50. That was about the time I found it uh, when I was 50. And I have a similar experience. I could say, well, I, I was pretty healthy. I wrestled. I did all kinds of sports. I was in the military, made it through basic training, all that stuff. Um, but in my 20s, I got less healthy than I was in my teens. In my 30s, I was less healthy than I was in my 20s. In my 40s, I was even less healthy than I was in my 30s. The beauty now, I am healthy. I'm coming, I'll be 60 in May. I am healthier now than I was in my 20s right. in many markers. Here's what pisses me off. Why did I have to lose 30 years of my life to being sick? Yeah, I know. I know that. that <laughs> it's frustrating as hell. I, I, yeah, but it does give me motivation to keep doing it because, you know, I, 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 I have a feeling of looking forward to like, well, hey, I can stay active and, exactly. and be healthy longer than I, you know, I'd anticipated. I'm thinking, you know, by my mid seventies, you know, I might as well turn out the lights and kind of just wait because it's not looking right. so good. But you know, it, it does give me a. Uh, some hope and, that uh, hey, Warren, you, know, you can have a good quality of life and stay active. Yeah. You, you want some more good news? Sure. I, I started this when I was around 52, uh, you know, eight, nine years into this, coming up on nine. Things are still getting better. Isn't that something wow. to look forward to? Can you imagine Thinking that when I start yeah. my 50s, I can be healthier when I get to 60. I'm looking forward to how healthy I'm going to be when I get to 70. Yeah, yeah, that's great. All right, what can I help you with? Yeah, exciting stuff. Okay, okay so uh, next week, uh, Paul in Oklahoma asked, well, what can you get for 25000 I, I guess I'm going to find out because I'm... Uh, going to be buying a truck next week and I am on target to start, uh, my operation here as an owner operator, new owner operator, no later than March 15th. Okay. Um, so I'm going to have a, I'm going to have a couple, two, three weeks before this truck's going to actually hit the road. And I am looking at, uh, three trucks in particular, and both are, well, I'm sorry, the, the three are remarkably similar. Now, I've, I've been looking at trucks for, you know, seriously for, for two years now, just looking at the market and, Good. you know, doing my homework. And I early on identified uh, kind of in this order the engine the engines that I was not only wanted but was basically limiting myself to. And then kind of in that order was the Detroit diesel 60 series 11 one 12 seven or the cummins n14 so i've got uh these three trucks that are remarkably similar they're all 1995 okay uh cab overs they're high top condos um two of them are freightliner flbs as in bravo and one is an international 
9800. Um, so I have looked at the 9700 and 9800 series quite a bit. I, I, I like that series of truck. So I, I, cab me, overs I like. Because, let me make a guess here. I'm just going to guess that the International has the 11 1. No, it really? has, and that's my issue. The two FLBs have um, 12 7s, Detroit 60 Series 12 7s. Um, and I, I, I mean, I don't have actual experience with them, but from what I've gathered, I wouldn't mind the 11 1. I'm not looking to to well, blaze hold, up hills hold, at 70 miles an hour. Hold on. I might be a little confused. So none of these trucks have the 11 one. No. Okay. The, the international it, has an, a Cummins M 11 and that's what I'm, that's, that's what I don't. Oh, this is, you just made this way easier of. than I thought it was going to be. Scratch the international and okay. the international was going to be my first choice. I like the truck better. And there was a bunch. There was a bunch of international flat floor cab overs, condos, really nicely specced with eleven ones. That was there. They were out there. Um, I, yeah, I do not those. like the M eleven at all. I, I wouldn't own one. There's a lot of okay. reasons. Okay. They're a dog. Fuel economy sucks. Um, they tend to need rebuilt okay. early okay. very often. So a lot of reasons I would just stay away from that engine completely. The 12.7 is, okay. is so rock solid and so common. You can't go wrong with the 12.7. The same thing about an N14. Okay. The 11.1 is right. actually maybe my favorite diesel engine ever made. I, I just love that thing. For the most part, though, unless you find one, I wouldn't think too much about them. They're pretty hard to find these days. Right. Right. Um, yeah, the eleven one didn't scare me at all. I just, I the M eleven, because I do, I do like the international from that era better. I'm not talking about the modern. No, right. I don't think there's no, much. No, that that, uh, that flat but, floor cab over from the '90s was a great truck. Yeah, I love the truck, and it's in. They're all. It's remarkable. They all have around the same mileage. They, they all appear to be well-maintained. They all have the maintenance records uh, with them. They're, so they're nice. They're all three nice trucks. I, if, I, if I had a choice and I were looking at these kinds of trucks, mid-90 cab overs, I would keep looking for one of those internationals with either an 11.1 or a 12.7. They're out there. Some of them do have 11.1s. Yeah. Uh, I probably find more 11.1s in international cab overs than almost any other truck model. So it is a, it is an engine you may find in that truck. And if I could find one, I, that would be my first choice. My second choice would be the international with the 12, seven or an N 14, either one. How important, I think I do have an 11, one Detroit in an international, either 97 or 9,800. I'm not sure if it's a flat floor or not. But I kind of had my, I, I had a preference for the setback axle. Um, this one is not. It's the forward axle. How important should that be in my decision? Um, are you planning on pulling a lot of really heavy freight? Well, I, I, I don't want to, but I just, I want to be as flexible as possible because... So 
I, so I, I want to be I, able to do as much as I possibly can to stay competitive. I, I get that. That's a good thought. But here's the way I look at that. I would prefer those payloads that are right around 30,000 pounds. It seems to be kind of a sweet spot. You right. know, you get up to that heavy crap. A lot of times it's the cheap stuff. It's beer, it's water, it's soda, right. it's paper. It's it's all the cheap stuff that's really heavy. You know, there's a lot of good freight in that 30, 35,000 pound range. I would spec the truck to pull that freight. Now, if I have to take a load at 45,000, okay. I can. I mean, any truck's going to pull it. Is it really efficient? No, but I don't care because I'm not going to go look for this stuff. I'll take it if I absolutely have to and it makes sense. And if it hurts my fuel economy once in a while, no big deal. I'm going to spec the truck for the freight I like, the part of the country I like, and the speed I like. And then I'm just going to focus on staying in that lane with that freight. And it's not that hard to do. And if I need to pull something odd, right. I can. It's not going to hurt anything. So I, I would, you know, the the N14 would be ideal here. The 11.1 would be my first choice. Um, you've got some time. I know you've got this kind of deadline you've put in there. I, I wouldn't be really critical on if you miss that deadline, not a big deal. Um this right. decision, here's the other thing I would recommend. You, you already said you're going to go buy the program, so I'm not you know, going to do a hard sell on you. If you're ready in, you know, about a month, you should be listening to that program tonight. It's going to change a lot. You've already been working on this, but I think you're going to get a lot of really, really good ideas that may even change your timeline. Okay. All right. Um, one other quick, uh, uh, question, I guess the other, the other class of, and I, I'll share my thinking real quick on the cab over. I, again, with the new authority and wanting to be as, as flexible as possible, you know, I, I just, for my company job, I, I, you know, last week just came out of the Bronx and, you know, so I've run in a lot in, in the boroughs of New York and in Chicago and a lot of places people don't want to go. Okay. And, and I, I sure as hell have wished I had, I didn't have that hood in front of me and had some more maneuverability because not that I love going into the boroughs of New York, but I, I figure, you know, if it, it, it just gives me a little edge, if I'm willing to do some of these, everybody wants to stay out of there. And I, you know, if I can go in, so I, I like the maneuverability and the price of entry of these older cab overs, but the other trucks I'm seeing are early two thousands to late two thousands Freightliner, Columbia's, uh, I don't remember the other designated, but, but your, your typical, you know, company Freightliner yeah. trucks right. with the, the, the Detroit 60 series, 14 liters. Um, but these trucks, I don't know the, hey. the cab overs are more rare, but, the, but when I do find them, they seem to be in, in better shape. And these, these early 2000s Freightliners just look beat to hell. I'm so so there's I, a, I, I'm le- I'm leaning towards the cab over, but I I wanted to see about those early 2000s freightliners. What your thoughts it. were on those? Good good question. You really have been doing your homework, and you've come up with really good questions. Congratulations. Um, I when I ran in out of Ohio, um, northeast Ohio, not far where, from where the train derailment is right now. Um, one of right. the 
kind of triangles I determined that really paid well was to take whatever freight I could get to the East Coast, usually Connecticut, somewhere in that area north of New York City. And I could find loads out of Connecticut. Some of these loads are less than 100 miles. They were going into the city. Right. You know, supplying the city is what they were doing. They tended to be like distributors that put a bunch of stuff together and then would send it into one, you know, little yep. business in the city. My company does that all the time. They that, yep. that freight I still pays do that. fantastic. I mean, the mileage rate on some of that stuff was incredible. You have to learn to deal with the issues of the city itself and you know, some really weird unloading. I've unloaded trailers of double stacked pallets on the curb, you know, it, it, but I just did it, but it pays really well. I used to love that kind of stuff. And I did it with a cab over right. getting in and out of the city with a cab over was a whole lot easier. So I love your model. Oh, here. It's- I, I love the freight you're going after. I think you're using the right truck to go after it. The, Early 2000s, when I hear 14-liter Detroit, almost all of the 14-liters were emissions. There were a few of them that weren't. That was a horrible engine. If you could get it without the emissions, it was a fantastic engine. But very few of them are. I would not own one with emissions. And the reason the the quality of the trucks that Freightliner was selling through the 2000s, you were basically looking at their two models, uh, the Columbia and the, oh shoot, what was the other Century. one? What's that? Century. The Century. The Century class was really, yeah. really a fleet spec. They had a lot of weird fleet stuff in that one. Both of them were junk, total junk. The cab quality on them was awful. The dashes fell apart. Everything cracked and rattled. And they, the, the cab quality on those two models of trucks were just horrendous. Their, their FLD used to be good That's quality. That's what I'm seeing. Their cab over was good quality. Um, the Cascadia fixed some of those problems, not to the level of like we see in Volvo or Paccar, uh, but at least it got better. But those two models were absolute garbage. I, I would stay away from the engine wasn't any good and the cabs were horrible. Okay. So that answers that question. Now, once I get my cab over here, um, you know, I, I, I'll do the due diligence and take a look or whatever, but I do want to get, since we got Pittsburgh power on here, I do want to get it over there. Um, as a new owner with, uh, I'll have some extra cash, but uh, maybe not enough to do the full, fuel economy upgrades and all that. But in terms of just looking at the truck, kind of assessing it, what's the first thing I should do? Um, and, and I'd like to get a relationship with Pittsburgh power cause they're nearby me. I'm in Northeast Excellent. Ohio. I'm, I'm an hour and a half away or so. Excellent. So what would they recommend in terms of getting the truck in and maybe a, a first step to, I don't know how I uh, maybe not communicating this well, but just uh, hey. assess the condition of it and, and try, try to see what, where I'm at with it. Hey, Warren, I'm going to let them answer that because I'm sure they have plenty to say before I do in the program, there is an entire chapter on buying the truck from start to finish. And I, 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 I give you step by step, do this first, 
when you get to this point on a truck that you're interested in, here's what you're going to do. You're going to run a rig dig report. And I I give all the links. You're going to have the front end inspected like this. You're going to have the engine. You're going to pull the ECM report. Here's what we're looking step by step. And then I say, when you buy the truck, when you find the right truck and you buy it, then here's what you're going to do for fuel economy in that first year. You're going to have a plan in that program that'll walk you right through this. I'll let those guys answer because they can add All to right. it. But uh, you're going to have a pretty good blueprint for that kind of stuff in the program. Pete? Sounds good. Leroy, go ahead. Hey, before I do, here, here's what I'd love to see out of this. I'd love to see you find a nice, clean, international cab over with an 11-1. And then I want Leroy to write a really good, efficient program that gives us about 500 horse and about 18 foot-pounds of torque. Leroy, can you do that? Uh, yeah, that should be a big deal. On an 11-1, I'd love to see that. I've never seen or driven a tuned 11-1. I'd love to. Well, we can make it happen. There we go. All right. What what do you guys recommend when he gets this truck? He should bring it over to you. And what are you guys going to do to it? Probably the first thing would be the the Hawkeye report, and simply go over it and see what it needs. That's obvious and could be something that could uh, be dangerous. You know, bad front end parts, brakes, whatnot. Uh, do that. Would want to do check for a boost leak. Um, an overhead would probably be a good idea simply because we don't know when it was done. Um, right. We're at the dyno. You know, we can put a manometer, check for blow-by, um, check fuel pressure, fuel restriction, see how much boost it's making. Make sure the engine's doing what it's supposed to do. Do an oil sample. An oil sample would be another great thing to do. Yeah. Even if we don't have the full information of what oil or how many miles is on it, it still wouldn't give us a little peek inside the engine what um, could be going on because if we're getting a bunch okay. of fuel in there, you know, it, it could be a set of injectors. If it's getting coal in there, it could be an injector tube. I mean, um, it tells us a lot of information. I mean, and the Hawkeye report's nice because it tells you, you know, it, it checks over everything. It's not like we just say, oh, you're good to go. Like right. we're going to go through step by step and say, we check this and it's good. We check this and you might want to think about replacing it sometime soon. So. It's not just you come in, we mess around with it for a couple hours, like, oh, yeah, you're good. Might want to put some new tires on it. Okay. Okay. And how um, how far out, uh, just a ballpark, and I know it probably changes, but how far out am I looking at getting scheduled, you know, getting the truck in? And should I plan on spending jobs. a night or two there? Or? So smaller jobs like that, I mean, um, <laughs> excuse me. We could probably get done in one day unless we find something that needs addressed. So you might have to spend the night. But for small jobs like that, I can normally get someone in in maybe two weeks or less. You know, the big jobs okay. were backed up pretty far, but um, the you know, smaller jobs, the in and out ones, we can get in a lot quicker. Okay. Okay. Well, sounds good. I will uh, uh, be in touch. And who do I... Um, who do you con- what, is it just the main so number? You call and ask for Eric and service. Okay. Okay. All right. Yeah, I think it's. I've been listening to you guys for a long time, and I, I, uh, uh, you know, I think it's good to have you, uh, 
in the neighborhood. You know, I think that'll be good to be close. So, um, you know, when Absolutely. I do want to make some of these, uh, um, you know, maybe, uh, upgrade for fuel improvement and things like that as I go along, I think the first, you know, first I'm going to just have to, uh, you know, dial it in. I'm, I've been in an, I, you know, I've driven manuals, but I've been in an automatic now for a couple of years. And so it's going to be getting, trying to, you know, drive the truck and getting used to it and, uh, um, getting this thing off the ground. So, but, uh, certainly appreciate the information and, um, hope to meet, uh, meet you over there at Pittsburgh power. And, you know, I'm excited about it and glad to hear that, you know, hopefully cause I, you know, I'm sure there's plenty of people that think, you know, buying a damn near 30 year old cab over is crazy, but I, I've just, I keep going in that direction and I think I'm on pretty sound ground there, but, uh, Warren, uh you know, Warren, it's, it's, it's good to hear it. If my opinion matters, I think you're brilliant. Oh, well, thank you. <laughs> Seriously. I, 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 this is All one right. of the best thought out and worked out plans to get started that I've heard in a long time. Okay, good. And you don't play that often. No, I don't. I'm usually yelling at people. What are you thinking, you idiot? Don't do that. <laughs> well, I'm excited to do it. I think I'm going to get a, a wake-up call in terms of comfort differences. I've been, you know, I've been used to a 2021 oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, Freightliner yeah. Cascadia, but but yeah. uh, but I don't mind being a little uncomfortable and and uh, you know, I I think it'll I hope it'll be worth it. So. Uh, he, you but, know what uh, I've yeah, always found glad to hear that you approve and because I've, I've driven all kinds of trucks over the years, new trucks, old trucks, come back to old trucks. What I've always found is within about a week, if that, no matter how bad the truck is, I seem to get comfortable in it anyway. <laughs> right. right. You just right. kind of get used right. to it, we, I guess. Yeah. It, it, yeah. Yeah. Humans can survive pretty much wherever you put them if they have some resilience. And so I, 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 I'm counting on that being the case where after a while, the, the, uh, no doubt increased noise and engine noise and wind noise and things will be, uh, uh, you know, become the norm. So, but, uh, yeah, I'm glad to get that affirmation. I, I, cause you know, it does, it's not the normal plan. I mean, I, I understand that most people aren't, you know, looking for this sort of truck, but I, that's just kind of where I went in terms of, uh, you know, uh, my needs and costs. So. I'll give it a shot. Congratulations, and uh, keep checking in with us. Let us know how it goes. I definitely will. All right. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Kansas City. Jay, welcome to the program. Got a fun question for you guys, and I'm not caught up on Tuesday episode yet, so I don't know if it's been asked, but... As soon as I ask it, I've got to go. I got way stations and construction coming up. But right. I was wondering if money money was no object, no rules, no regulations, and you could do whatever you want. What would be everybody's truck of uh, their dream truck? What would they want to buy? How would they spec it out? Not as much specs, but what would you do to it? And gotta go. Thanks, guys. All right, I'll I'll start. I guess. Um, I could approach this a couple ways. I could approach this as, do am I buying the truck to put it on the road and move freight and make money? Obviously, that's mostly what we buy trucks for. But because of what I do, I also have the, the desire to just test a lot of stuff and, and prove things. 
So I'll start with if I were going to buy a truck and move freight today. Um, there ha- the, my opinion on this obviously has changed many, many times over the years as trucks change, engines change, technology changes. Currently right now, hands down, don't even have to think about it. I'm going to go build a turbo compounded downsped Volvo. Uh, I, I love the cab. I love the comfort. I love the quality of the truck itself. And in my opinion, it is the best engine architecture on the market right now. Um, we've got Joel getting 12 and 13 miles to the gallon sometimes with this. No emission problems, lots and lots of really usable power. It's got a, a really nice, it, it's built well for the torque curve. Um, hands down, I, I don't even have to think about it. Second um, truck to move freight with would probably be and man, we're just not hearing about many of these anymore. And I'm wondering why um, would be a Western star with the the the, uh, the aerodynamic Western star with the uh, DD12 is what I would build. And I know we haven't proved that engine quite as much, but that would be part of what I would want to do. I would want to prove that the 12 liter could be built really well too. And I'm not even sure on my specs on a 12 liter. I'd have to work on it a bit. Um, do you mean DD 13? 13. I'm sorry. Not a 12. Um, thank you. Yeah. DD 13. Did I miss one along the way or? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) No, you're right. Thank you. Uh, a 12. Um, those would be, I I honestly can't think of another truck that I would be interested in owning right now. I, I, you know, i love the quality of Peccar products. I just, I can't take either one of their engines. I, I just wouldn't do it. Uh, I don't like the architecture. I don't like the results we've seen on the road. I don't want to fight with all the problems they've had and the poor fuel economy and the fact that we can't seem to spec that truck right. They, they don't give us a drivetrain that, that helps us spec that truck as, as good as we might be able to. But even if they did, the architecture stops us from really achieving what we want to achieve. So those two for me are just just out. Um, Packard, because those are the only two engines I could get. Uh, the other thing I would be really interested in doing test-wise, I, I would love to build, like I said, either a really efficient Volvo or a DD13 and a Western Star. And then I would like to run it side-by-side with a Tesla and see what the real numbers are in the real world. You know, and, and for me, if I would do that, I would just build a, uh, I would build freight up and down the I-5 corridor, um, you know, Washington to California and back and stay on I-5 so I could control charging stations and and all that other stuff. But uh, if I could dream, if I were to get back into trucks right now, that that's kind of how I'd want to do it. Anybody else have any thoughts? So, I mean, if, if we can do anything um, and not have to buy something that's on this shelf right now, it would have to be a 12.7. You know, oh, yeah, I didn't like, even hey, think about that part of the question, thing. right. You know, Good point. That's my thought would be, hey, if you can build anything, it, you know, I'd probably get a Packard product, um, and, and then, you know, like a, a 3 uh, or 5.79, get some aerodynamics there, and then, of course, the 12.7 in it. Good point. Really. Good point. Hmm. Well, let, we go. let me I, throw out another um, kind of project that I had always talked about. And um, 
thought it really had potential. I've learned a little bit more. Maybe it doesn't have as much, but I, I would like to go prove this or disprove it, one of the two. I have talked many times about building a truck-trailer combination specifically that work together and get the best possible fuel economy we could get. And, and knowing that you're never going to drop that trailer and let another truck pull it, that's how specific it's going to be. And here was what I always wanted to build. I would probably start with even something like a T6. Um, I would build it as a four by two, just a true single axle tractor um, with an 11-1, nice and light. We're going to build this tractor really light. We're going to match it. And I don't care whether it's a flatbed or reefer drive in, doesn't matter. We're going to match it to a spread axle trailer. The trailer is going to have a lift axle and we're going to have a sliding fifth wheel, pretty common, but we're also going to have a sliding pintle hook on the trailer. Now we can change the weight on every single axle. And, and we only have four axles now, not five, but we can change the weight on every axle significantly because not only can we move the fifth wheel, we can move the pintle hook. And we can put more weight up on the tractor to get it up to our front axle. I would have an oversized front axle, probably 15.3. What, I forget what the axle ratings are. But I'd be in that 15 to 16,000 pound axle rating on the front with the bigger tire to carry the extra weight. And we would be spreading the weight out over those four axles and my guess is I could scale almost everything that anybody else scales on five axles. And when we're empty, we'd be on three. That would be kind of my dream, you know, even kind of old school technology still. But what could we do with a truck like that? Yeah, no, that sounds really interesting. Yeah, mod, it would be interesting to see what you get there, something like that. I, I think this question is hard because it there's so many different angles you can look at it from and so many different perspectives. Like my perspective, sometimes when people ask me this is like Pete, I would probably just get an older truck because it's just simpler and you most likely have less issues with it. Um, you don't have to worry about all the weird electronics and the dash right. and the automatic transmission like does funky things. I mean, there's just a lot of problems. You just, you know, right off the bat, I would just have like a 12.7 or something like that, 500 horsepower, just the cheapest truck I can get. Maybe I don't get 12 miles per gallon. Maybe I get 7.1, but I just make up for the fact that I didn't spend $200,000 on a truck. There's a good point. Here's another good point. Um, are we having more problems finding parts for new trucks or old trucks? Well, I guess it depends on how old you go, but yeah. Right. So the, but the one box is still an issue. Correct. Um, the, these modules that they keep stealing is an issue. I mean, I'm hearing about newer modern trucks that are being parked because of a part. Um, that's not going right. to be and, nearly as common on an old truck because there's, we could go to junkyards, we could manufacture parts. We, we have far more options. Yeah, I mean, and, and you have an aftermarket if you have to. Right. If you have an old truck that if the wipers don't work, there's a switch. You can wire a switch on the dash, like a toggle <laughs> switch you can buy That's right. on Amazon, wire it to a relay, and then the wiper motors work. Yeah. You have like a new truck, like a, a new whatever, 
the turn signal has wires that go to um, the gateway module. Then the gateway module talks to the cab controller module, and then that sends a signal over to the wiper motor module. Then inside of that whole module turns the wipers on. Uh, right. That just sounds like a mess. <laughs> no, it doesn't like sound a like a mess. It is. Right. Yeah. You know, before you had 12 volts in the ground and your headlights work. I mean, that's not the case nowadays. Exactly. Right. So that's, that's one perspective I always give people is just like, I would just get an old truck. You have less issues. But then if you ask me the perspective, like, what is your dream truck? I don't really have one. Like you said, I do like Western stars. I do like that 5,700. Um, but I tell you what, I'm really interested in the new international LT with the S13. That whole that whole I, setup really interests me. I am too. You just gave me. You're just like, here's how you go buy a new truck. Yeah. I would buy that one. Yeah, I, I agree. That one shows some promise. I, I I and I hope it's promising. I hope we can get international back into the game here. I mean, it it might be a pile of crap, but like if you're just giving me free money and you're saying, here, go buy a dream truck, well, like, eh, I'll see what this one's about. Well, we, I don't think it's a good business decision to go buy something that's untested. I wouldn't recommend that to anybody, but if you ask me what my dream one is, I'd probably buy that. Yeah, and you know, I used to tell people all the time when when I got my trucking business to the point where it was pretty secure, I had good cash flow, I wasn't worried about staying in business or not, I was willing to go out and buy those kind of trucks and try them just because I'm curious. I mean, that's that's what I do. But I would tell people, no, if 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 you're still trying to build your business, don't take that kind of risk. Just use what's tried and tested and true. Um, I had a thought about that and I just forgot it. Um, what was I going to say? In my perspective on things, when people ask me, you know, what, what would you buy? Well, I could buy a lot of different things because I'm not afraid to get my hands dirty and work and everything. Like, I'm not afraid of Mac and Volvos. A lot of people are because they say, oh, I have to go just to the Volvo dealer. I can't take it right. to my local place. Right. Well, I don't have no problem because I would look at it you, myself. So. You just do it yourself. Yeah, that's, yeah. that's just that's a hard question. Yeah, no, it's... it's I, uh, I was in a Mac. It's, I really liked it. What's that? truck, too. Yeah, it was comfortable. I was in a Mac Anthem recently. We did a tune on one, a 2020, and that was a really nice truck. I, I so, liked that thing a lot. So let, let's kind of follow a pattern here. Um, I've always you know, kind of said Volvo's about the best quality you're going to find in a cab. Pack car's pretty close for an American product, but Volvo builds a hell of a cab. Quality, noise, ride comfort, all that stuff. Once they got on top with the engine, with their turbo compounded, that's why I would have a hard time buying anything new other than a Volvo today. I really think it is different and above the other trucks. But there's an interesting point here. Max have improved because that's basically a Volvo now. Um, their cab quality oh, right. used to be really, I won't say it was poor quality. It was not luxurious in any way. It was solid. It was reliable. But the, there was just a lot of noise in the cabs. The, the doors closed kind of loud and hard. It doesn't feel like, you know, kind of a luxury car. It feels like a construction piece of equipment. That, that's kind of what Max were. That's changing. The, the Mac is getting a lot more refined now, like a, the Volvo, the engine designs. They're almost identical. Um, the interesting thing is, and I forget his name or what his title was, but somebody who was very, very influential at, influential at Volvo for years is now running international. Mm, 
Interesting. That, that new engine looks very similar in architecture to the Volvo architecture that we love so much. Right. Right. So I'm yeah, optimistic. We, I, I'd love to have International be a really viable truck to buy again. I mean, I'm even, I'm even silly enough. I, if I would buy an A26 or some of the older Max forces. Oh, just you to are see if silly. I could just make it better. <laughs> but I but mean, I understand because you have the ability to make it better. Yeah, I'll I'll figure it out, or right. I'll just really right. determine that this thing was a pile. Yeah, it most likely no, I, is. But I, yeah, good point. Hey, the uh, the the calls piled think, calls piled up on us here while we were dreaming there, so we're going to jump back into them. <laughs> um, Jay, do we have you back? Yeah, I should have known. Kevin's got business in his blood, and, and if I didn't, and engineers, I should have known y'all's answer, man. Y'all killing me. Okay, I'm thinking of more of childlike. You guys open up a magazine. What's your most just, you became an instant billionaire, million dollars flowing in every month, whatever y'all want to do. And Kevin, you'll probably stick to your guns, but it's just more of an emotional answer, I guess. What would the engine be, and what would it look like? Money's no object, no more laws, no more regulations, semi-retired, go anywhere and do whatever you want. What is your dream truck? Lamb all answers still say the same? Uh, you know, I, I would go back, I guess, to my kind of four axle thing that, because to me, look, I could, I could spec all kinds of trucks and go out and make money with them. You know, I think I'd make the most money and be the most comfortable and the happiest with my answer around Volvo. Um, but I, I could build 15 totally different trucks, different engines, different configurations, and go make money with them. So for me, making money with a truck is not hard. I could do it all kinds of ways. So for me, it becomes more of can we prove something new kind of thing, Um you know, obviously, if it's a dream truck and I'm just going to drive around and kind of see the country, nothing would be all that important other than give me plenty of horsepower and torque, which is easy to do. I mean, we don't even have to get weird to do that. Um, and give me a really big, cool sleeper that I could live in. I mean, that I'd be focused on the amenities uh, in a truck like this, not really the engine, drivetrain or technology, because that wouldn't be all that important anymore. I'm not trying, almost all the work I have done on trucks and engines and drivetrains over the years has, has really had one goal, make more money. And now all of a sudden you're giving me a scenario where I don't need to make money at all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it yeah. really, I know the it answer sounds kind of weird, but I wouldn't be focused on drivetrain and tires and technology and efficiency because I don't need to. Now I'd be focused on you know, my God, this thing has a, uh, uh, you know, a, a smart car pops out of the back so I can run around and do whatever I want. Cause that's the kind of stuff I'd be dreaming of. Gotcha. What about you guys? <laughs> no, I was thinking I, I would uh, just ride with Kevin. $20 billion all the time. <laughs> no, you make make him cook, make him do everything. Yeah, you'd be out there with He's your big up. cam, with your brick on the floor. You just love those piles of crap. Oh yeah. <laughs> and mechanical in fourteen would be it. Ah, uh, trouble free. You make me sick. 
All right, oh, Jay. Pete. And, and now that you've led us down this rabbit hole, anything else? You know what? Yeah, we're already going down this rabbit hole. You guys are in charge of the country, and you got all the money you want. What would you do to the industry as a whole? Trucks, parts, network, I mean, whatever it is. What would If you guys could do anything yeah. to make everything better, what would you guys do? You know, it, realistically, I'll, I'll, I'll jump in and ask, answer that because this is the kind of stuff that, you know, I've been working on and thinking about for 30 years. Um, you may be surprised by the answer. Standing here right now, Nothing. I don't have a clue. I don't even know where I would start. Here's why. Mm-hmm. We've never had that option. Our option has always been deal with what we've got, deal with the regulations, deal with the problems, which just like every industry and every job. So I've never thought about, why, why would I? It's never been an option. I, I just never thought about if somebody said you get to change anything you want and, and your goal is to make the trucking industry better and anything's possible, hell, I have no idea what I'd do. You know, Kevin, one easy one is is more truck stops in rest areas. I mean, that's a huge problem. Kevin, Rutherford truck stop. Bring it on. I, you know, okay, let, let me throw one out then. I do have an idea. I had thought about this. Um, because I've, I've spent so much time focusing on the health side of drivers and the lifestyle itself, for most of us, that drove and and we drove because we loved the industry. We loved to drive the downsides, honestly. And, and the reason I built my operation the way I did was because after spending a couple years over the road with kids, I said, I'm not doing this anymore. This is just wrong. In my opinion, you know, if you're single or your kids are grown fine, but I think raising kids where one parent is gone weeks and months at a time is awful. It's just wrong. You know, look, yeah. if you and a spouse I'd be could work for it different out, industry, fantastic. Yeah. You're both adults, and if you like being away from each other for months at a time, that's a good thing. But not kids. Kids need both those parents at home, and I changed my whole operation so I could be at home and raise my kids. I would work on, on doing a lot more of what the line haul companies do, and that's why I went to that kind of an operation. You know, my freight out of Orlando every day needed to go to Charlotte. That was my freight. And if you wanted to do that, you would have to drive all the way up to Charlotte, spend the night and drive freight back the next day. Well, why not send a truck out of Charlotte and a truck out of Orlando, meet in the middle, swap trailers, everybody goes home and we're home every night. We could do more of that in general freight if we tried. So that would be my first goal is I would start designing a freight system. We would still have some over-the-road drivers and we would still have teams, but we would have far more opportunities for single drivers to get home more often. Yeah, I like it. So I guess I did have one. How about a big Pittsburgh Power and Kevin Rutherford team up for some uh, truck stops? That shouldn't be hard to do right no healthier food better better service and mechanics look look i can't imagine now could we put together a a series of kind of smaller travel centers where 
you come in and you get really good diagnostic troubleshooting, you get really good upgrades for fuel efficiency, we keep your truck running. You, you know, we look at your truck when it's healthy, not just when it's broke kind of thing. Um, and then throw in some amenities as kind of a mini truck. You might be able to pull something like that off. Um, and it, we actually attempted it at one time. Um, Robert Fitzgerald and I tried starting that company. We hired somebody to go out and sell the concept. We were going to take shops that already existed and kind of convert them to our model. So we tried, we, we failed at it. Um, mm. Doesn't mean it couldn't work. It just means it, it, was, uh, it took more bandwidth than we yeah. had at the time. And also, honestly, Robert got a lot of pressure from his family to stop doing that and come back into the family business. So there was a whole bunch of things on, on why yeah. that one didn't work. But having said that, it's, building a traditional truck stop was the last business I would ever even want to attempt. I have to go buy. <laughs> Why is that? Because I have to go buy acres and acres and acres of land, yeah. which is expensive. I have yeah. to pave it, which is outrageously Very. expensive, and it and it's got to be heavy enough to handle trucks. And I'm gonna have to redo it all the time. And now you pull in, and I make two cents a gallon on fuel. Are you kidding me? And people bitch if I try to charge them for parking. Oh hell no! I wouldn't want to run that business. Oh, I love paid parking. I know. Yeah. I would not. All that comes with a sun and ice bath. I'll pay for parking. Horrible, horrible business to run. And and is Bruce on today? I didn't start off on the show. Sorry. And when you want to go build a new truck stop, everybody in the area wants to fight you because they don't want truck stops in their neighborhood. Yeah, that's getting more common. Yeah. No thanks. Is Bruce on today? I didn't catch the beginning of the show. Bruce is out on a boat somewhere. He is not. Ah, that sounds nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, I got a million uh, questions, but uh, I'll let you guys get to other calls. Thanks for the answers. I was just going to say, I got to run along. Let's go to North Dakota. John, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. You're talking about your dream truck being the Western Star Aerodynamic. Back when the part shortages were on, I actually heard that uh, Western Star stopped making that model. Oh, they may they have. Were concentrating on their other, they were concentrating on the other customers because they didn't have enough parts because of the part shortage. It, that could be. So. You know, Western Star's sweet spot is not the over-the-road market. It's the uh, vocational kind of construction local market. They do a lot more in that than they do over the road. So I could see that. But again, we come back to that whole damn shortage issue. Why are we talking about shortages like we're some third world country? Yeah, yeah. it was uh, a couple of years back. I swore I heard it, but uh, no, you could be right. Just figured I figured I pass on the info, but you have a nice day. Thank you very much for the information. All right. Thanks for the call. Let's go to Ontario. Kevin, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks. First time caller. Um, my question is, I'm having a problem with my PM sensor. I've had to change three since uh, September, so I'm only getting maybe two months out of each one. Could I be just getting a bad batch of them, or is there something else that could be possibly going on with it? Well, 
when you replace them, is it for, I imagine it's because of a certain fault code? Yeah, I'm getting uh, the same fault codes each time. It's uh, SPN 6780 FMI3 and SPN 7323 FMI4. That's what the dealer's getting me. Yeah, I don't know what that is on the top of my head, unfortunately. Um, do you know what they, in short, what, they, what they're for? Or you want me to look them up? Uh, no, like, like I said, I've, this will be the third sensor, the same sensor that I've had to put in, in a particular one. And I was just kind of wondering, is it just like, am I get, keep getting bad sensors? Because they're like $718 a piece. I didn't know if it was just, I'm getting a bad batch of them or if something else is making them go bad or shortening. Well, it depends on what the fault code is for. Um, but I doubt that you keep getting bad ones. It's most likely something else going on with the truck. Um, but you say after you put a new one in, it's good for a little bit, and then it, they fail again. You get the same fault? Yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm getting uh, like two months. My engine light comes on, so I take it back to the dealer, and he keeps saying that uh, the same codes are coming back, so he just keeps replacing the same sensor. And yeah, I would... Two months at the most. I would say it. after your third one, you most likely have something else going on, so we probably need to check it out. Okay, yeah, because they just hook up the laptop and where they go, and then that's about it. So, yeah, um, yeah, I'd have to look up that fault code. So maybe give me a call after the show, and then I'll look up the faults, and we can maybe come up with a plan of attack. Okay, perfect. I appreciate it. Yeah, not a problem. Thank you. All right, thanks for the call. Uh, that's gonna do it. We're all out of calls for today. Um, we're going to wrap this up. Guys, anybody uh, want to wrap up with anything? Do I, I want to go back to this. I might be beating a dead horse here, but I don't think so. Um, how wild is it? What, what, were, what are the odds that somebody would make a movie in 2021 about a train derailing with toxic chemicals in a specific city how many cities do we have in this country? And then it actually happens in that city, not even just near the city, but in it. What are the odds? Pretty slim, I would think. Now, I, yeah. I could also say the opposite. What, what reason would there have been to make a movie about this and then have it happen? And I, I guess what I'm saying is, did somebody cause this to happen? Because that would be kind of what I'm getting at, I guess. But why would anybody do of all that? All that that doesn't make sense either. Or is it just the, the railroads in such poor shape that you could see it coming? Yeah, hey, that this, that's this a good area point. Yeah, that, and it, and you know, the conditions are bad. And was it just a coincidence that they managed to get the one city out of twenty thousand or however many cities we have that it actually happened in? Right. I mean, I guess the odds are uh, the train only goes through so many cities, so, you know. I guess, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, just seems if weird. If you want to really work out the odds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anybody have anything? There you go. They, anybody have anything they want to close with? Yeah, I was just going to mention, you know, the uh, Mid-America Truck Shows uh, starts 
uh, March 30th, uh, 31st, and then April 1st. And we're in the same location we have been, which is uh, booth 69212. So it'll be here before you know it. It will be here before you know it. And unfortunately, that's why I just had to bow out this year. We were trying to work with uh, show management to put a bunch uh-huh. of seminars together. And they were trying to give us our own room to do a bunch of stuff in. And um, we just started a little too late. That was my fault. We weren't able to put it together. And we have too many projects going on this year. So um, we're going to hunker down here, get through some projects, and we have already started planning with show management to do something big next year. Um, more than just some seminars in the show. We're actually looking at some pretty uh, some pretty big ideas that we might do with show management. So um, they are actually changing, um, and, and this comes straight from the top. I, I had a conversation with Toby Young um, they're changing their model going forward. And I, I, I can't say a lot about it right now, but I think what they're doing is brilliant. I think they see the writing on the wall. Um, a lot of the big OEMs, the truck manufacturers and the trailers and big OEM stuff have basically said, look, it, it costs them a million plus dollars to go to that show. I mean, it's insane how much money they spend on that show. And what they've said is, we don't bring out a new truck model every year. So why would we come to these truck shows every year? We, we just don't have enough to show every year to make it worth spending all this money. And they're starting to alternate. So the show management understands, you know, 50 some years of the show. It, it's probably time for kind of an update. And um, it, it's a, kind of a new business model, but it's, uh, it's interesting what they're looking at. And we're talking about uh, doing some things with them around that show. I was hoping that um, Dallas would stick around and, and they would then go, you know, even year Dallas, odd year uh, Louisville or, or whatever. But, you know, each year we have a show, but it's not the same location. I know. I'd like Dallas. I'd like to see that. Dallas was a great show. It really was. It's a shame. I've never been there. Yeah. Great city. Um, a lot of awesome restaurants. You can park and, and walk the whole time. And the, the show facility was really nice with some issues with um, loading and unloading because the city owned um, the complex. So they gave us a, a time frame to load and unload that was not possible. But other than that, the, the, you know, when they put the show on, they did a good job. We were always busy there. I definitely miss that show. It's one of my favorite shows to do. Yeah. The, uh, Pete, you and I, of- Pete, you and I have been through this, uh, you know, we've been going to truck shows for about 30 years now, and there used to be a whole bunch of them. And then they tried to start a couple new ones. Um, what was the, there was the show that uh, Randall Riley put on a couple years in the Carolinas. I went to the first one. I thought that was a fun show. That was a blast. It was done at the um, drag track. Yeah. Yeah. They had about four years. I think I did it every year. That was a, a great show. Uh, and the problem was they couldn't get the um, the OEMs to come, and they need that for the money. Right. Yeah, that they was need, a, you know Kenworth. I thought that Peter was built a, there to you know put up the big boots. Yeah, I thought that was a great show. A lot more casual, a lot more laid back. It was fun. Um, I took my smart car on a run down the drag strip against a semi. That was kind of fun. I, it was just a. It, I just remember it. You a lot of fun. Yeah, it was a great show, laid back, uh, good clientele that came in. 
it, it was a really good show. It's a shame that one didn't last either. I mean, you know, there's a bunch of outdoor ones, small ones. Right. And even right. the Houston show is down to two days. Really? So we thought, okay, maybe we'll look into that one because we're not doing Dallas anymore. Because it was, I think, close enough to Dallas. Like, okay, this is just too much to drive to Dallas, come back, and then go right. to Houston. Um, but that's a lot of effort. Even to fly down for a two-day show, that's a lot of effort. Yeah. Yeah, it is. No doubt. Um, I remember the New England truck show it used to go back and forth every year. One year it would be in Baltimore and then it would be in Boston and then Baltimore. And that one was different because that one to me was really, really local. Like you'd go there on Friday and it would be dead all day long. And then after work, you'd get a bunch of people coming in at the last minute. And then the weekend was jammed, but it was almost always locals. Yes. Boston and, and Baltimore were both that way. Yeah. 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 The whole truck show thing has certainly changed, but like I say, um, um, I think that, that, um, the, the show management at Louisville, uh, they've got a good idea. I think they're, they're really thinking about this and they're looking at, you know, what's going to happen to truck shows going forward. And I think, they have an interesting idea. As soon as I can talk about it, I will, but uh, we're working on them with some ideas for next year. So we'll see. All right. Anything Good. else? Nope. That is it for me. Yeah, that's it. All right. Good stuff. Thank you guys today. As always, we will see you back here next week. I'll see you tomorrow. We've got a big day lined up for uh, Destination Health. I've got Nora Gedgaudis with me and also Dr. Jack Wolfson, paleocardiologist is coming back with us tomorrow. Jack's becoming a pretty regular uh, contributor on the show, which we absolutely love. So join us for that. We'll see you tomorrow. Be safe, be profitable, be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey.